You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed, but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. When brands like Google, Starbucks, Shopify, and GE want to decode the future, they call Mitch Joel. So guess what? I called him too. Luckily for me, I was connected with him and he answered the call. So if you have been living under a rock and do not know who Mitch Joel is, Strategy Magazine called him one of North America's leading visionaries. And he is the co-founder of Thinkers One, which is a platform that empowers companies with personalized and bite-sized thought leadership from literally the best thinkers in the world. You will love the podcast also. So just a little bit of a teaser there. But his first book is really where I first met him. That was Six Pixels of Separation. And it was named after a successful blog. And this is one of those prolific bloggers. This is where the concept came from originally. But and then it became a podcast and is a business bestseller. But really where I got my seminal understanding of digital transformation came from his second book, Control-Alt-Delete, and it was named one of the best business books of 2013 by Amazon. And so you understand why I am asking Mitch Joel to talk about digital transformation success and really what it means now. He was also awarded the highly prestigious 40 Under 40 Award and is on Dr. Marshall Goldsmith's exclusive 100 coaches list and was named to Thinkers 50 Radar Class of 2021. So Mitch Joel, welcome back to being with me, although on my different podcast, you and I are our podcast switchers. So, so nice to have you again. I am happy to always take your call, Priscilla, and I appreciate any invitation. Uh, we have to chat. I love chatting about this stuff. So happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts right now on really, you're kind of in a transition just personally and making a shift with Thinkers One. So when you're thinking about digital transformation for your day-to-day business, what are you thinking about right now? Yeah, it is a new startup. It is a new venture, but at the same time, it fits into the work that I do. When I started the agency that I had with my three business partners in the early 2000s, the era of social was there. The era of connected technology was there. And we were doing it for clients and we were doing it for ourselves. And that led me to having the privilege of speaking on stages all over the world, which then led me down this place of having representation by speaking bureaus. And so I've been a part of that business for what's going on 17 years now. And the pandemic comes along. 
And suddenly I'm not speaking on stages because I sold the agency eight years ago, left around four or five, came into this office with one of my business partners from Twist Image that then became Miram. And we were primarily managing what I would call six pixels of separation, which would be the platform where I publish my articles, the podcasts, the books, the speaking. We were doing some investing, some advising, but we always had a desire to do something more. I have a long-standing relationship with one of the first people at Shopify, who is now one of the heads of Shopify, Harley Finkelstein. I knew I wanted to do something that involved e-commerce. I knew I wanted to do something that didn't involve drop shipping, so it had to be a digital product. And here we sat at this moment in time, and it had been percolating for a while based off of questions I get from people after I speak. After I speak, I'll hear things like, hey, I passed your book along to one of my team members. They really loved it. They subscribed to your podcast. Can you shoot them a quick little video and let them know that you're thinking about them or that I wanted you to let them know that, that you're thinking of them? I would get questions like, I saw the keynote. Is there any way you could do a quick 10-minute video for my team that I could bring back to the office? And then, of course, during the pandemic, I think both of us were hearing things like, can you pop into our meeting? And just say hi or do an AMA with with group. And I realized that my business process behind that was very similar to the keynote. You go back and forth with the client, you send them something to sign, they sign it, you do it, then you're in accounts receivable. That's always a hassle. You're chasing people for money, that there had to be a better way to do this. And that's where the idea for Thinkers One came out, which is it's a B2B marketplace where thought leaders can sell one or three different types of products. One is this personalized greeting idea. One is a keynote, basically a mini keynote, eight to 10 minutes where the thought leader chooses topics. Customer sees the topics, chooses it, and they'll record it. You could drop that into physical, virtual, hybrid meetings, doesn't matter. And the third one is a pop in live. They'll come in and do a little AMA, a 10, 15 minute AMA. And that was the secret. That was the secret key because the company doesn't really interact with the thought leader. It's all done in e-commerce, so it's as easy as buying, you name it, online. And it's a great way for somebody like me and maybe someone like you, if you want to come on the platform, to monetize video content in a very, very different way. It's more of a mid-tier product. So when you talk about transformation, there's a lot of transformation, and yet it's kind of the path. The path for me has always been getting up on stages and speaking to audience about where consumer behavior is going, how digital technologies are changing and impacting that. So I don't see it being all that different other than Aubrey, who's my business partner and I are doing everything. We don't even have an employee at this time. So I'm getting used to doing the small detail things that I haven't done in a while. And at the same time, just understanding platforms like Shopify better and Klaviyo and other things like that. So it's been a fun time, but it doesn't feel all that different than the world that I've occupied for so long, which is how do I use technology to connect better to audiences? Well, you say that about connecting to audiences, but it's interesting to me because you sit at a very interesting place in that you were very early adopter to prolific blogging. And then you were a very early adopter to prolific podcasting. And I'm a huge podcast fan of yours. And it's a big shout out for thoughtful conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Please, can we have a little bit more of it and not yeah. this rote, I'm here to market what I'm doing. Right. And I just love the the conversational and the in-depth and really that you seem to have really retained that sense of curiosity with your guests 
And I think that's something that you know, obviously comes from a lot of years of experience interviewing people and really getting the best out of them. But I am interested to hear from you if you see that that really is a privileged position, one that you obviously worked for, but that it is an earned privileged position to be working differently now because so many people coming along at this point are very much struggling in the digital world to be seen, to be heard, and they're not necessarily getting the message, which I hear you preach all the time, which is know your audience and really curate what you're talking about and who you're talking about ideas with for your audience. So do you kind of perceive it that way that you feel lucky maybe or proud of yourself that you did this so early and now you have this amazing platform? Know that I see it like that. I think I operate more philosophically, which is I could create assets that are direct response. Can you buy my book? Can you hire me to keynote? Here are pictures of me in an airport or with somebody famous. Doesn't that tell you that I should be on the stage speaking for you or that you should be my client when I was running an agency? So you use the term rote marketing. And I think that that is a very compelling philosophy that I think you can do. It's just not my style. I started off in journalism. I started off having conversations with really famous rock stars. And you have to really get great content out of them really quickly because you usually only have 10 to 20 minutes with them. And that was a long period of time where I developed chops in the conversation world. When I started the agency with my business partners, I also realized I'm not going to be great going door to door asking people if they need a website or if they know what social media is or if they're interested in a mobile version of their website or e-commerce or whatever but that I could probably get people interested in the agency through my ability to tell stories or connect with others who can tell stories better than me. It just so happened, and this is for sure privilege, luck, and timing, that social media just started at that moment in time. So here I am going, I don't really want to sell door to door, but I could read these books that are giving me great tools and knowledge and then reach out to the author and see if they want to spend some time with me. It's hard to imagine, but in 2003, 2004, you couldn't find an hour of content with somebody like Seth Godin or Charlene Lee. If you were lucky, they would be part of a very short segment on some kind of traditional media channel, whether it's radio or TV. And suddenly I could use this technology to spend an hour with them. And it became a very selfish act because I couldn't get this content anywhere else. And for me, it was, it was important to have conversations where it wasn't somebody asking questions that were on a list of questions where the interview is trying to get through the questions. But it was more about if we were having coffee and there just so happened to be microphones in front of us, could we have a cogent conversation between two working professionals with the ultimate goal being how do I make the person listening better at the work that they do? I believed that the direct response from that would be at one point, well, if we ever need a digital marketing agency or keynote speaker, maybe we should call that Mitch guy. I think I took it so far that I may have not been doing myself justice in the sense of I probably should have had more calls to action or moments in time where I said, hey, if you like this show, find out more. You're looking for digital marketing services at the time. I'm learning from that now. So if you listen to Six Pixels of Separation, my weekly podcast, you'll hear at the beginning a little intro where now I talk about Thinkers One. 
but I do think there's a lot of connective tissue, which is that if you're listening to Six Pixels, which actually now is the Thinkers One podcast, you're obviously interested in, in some way, advancing your career. And if you're going to spend time with me, you might find value in that as being a service, but it still sits to a certain degree at arm's length than what I've done. So it's a long way of saying, I think there's a place for the people who do that type of marketing, whether it's a podcast or whatever. But for me, I've always been attracted to the people that have really accomplished something and are in their mind mind space of trying to help others either learn from their mistakes or learn from their successes. Well, you talk about that conversational approach. So I'm going to unpack that for a minute because I really think that comes out in six pixels of separation. And like, for example, you were talking recently with Mike Evans from Grubhub. And I mean, there were so many moments in that (laughs) podcast where I went, what, what, what? Like, I had no idea when, like to think how far ago that started for so many of us grubhub came up to vernacular in the last two years you know yeah. and so it was so interesting to hear his long journey but one thing i loved about that was the honesty that you had you asked a very tough question of him which is really taking a look at the real bad name that industry gets right now for some of this gig economy and and how some people let, let's just take one idea there were a lot in there but one idea like people are saying oh this kind of gig ruins local business. And that is one of the stories that gets told very often in our culture. And instead of having these prescribed questions for somebody who wrote a book and sold the company and all these things, it was just a natural outflow to say, well, tell me about that. And you really put it to him to let him put it in his own words. And that's where the learning was. It was like this deep sense of just, hey, dude, we're at a cop shop. I'm just curious. Like, how does that work? And what do you think about that? So to me, of course, you're known for so much of your prowess and digital transformation for brands. But to me, it's so rooted in this sense of curiosity for the human that is having the experience. There are two things that are happening. One is they are elephants in the room. It's hard not to interview somebody who created Grubhub and not talk about the gig economy, the erosion of small business, small businesses feeling that they're being taken advantage of by the Uber Eats of the world and what have you, and his perspective on it. He was great because he said, well, I'm not with the company anymore, but... And the but part was really, really strong. The other part of it is I have a very high expectation of anybody who writes a book that they have to show their work. And when I say wrote a book, I mean any professional in general. If you're going to present yourself as either a capable podcast guest or somebody who wants to be an industry leader, and that can even be if you're running as a solopreneur, as a business, I think you need to always be able to show your work, which is to cogently communicate to an audience what it is you do. Mike from Grubhub and the author of Hangry is clearly someone who does it very, very well. If you look at the world as it is now, and again, I self-identify as male, pale, and stale, right? I'm a middle-aged white guy with a tremendous amount of privilege. Just that alone gives me a lot of the social trappings that people fall into. And I believe that showing your work and being transparent in how you think about the industries is a way to level the field a little bit. It's a way to equalize the more marginalized voices because those people can show up in really special and unique ways. And I've had 
as you know through the show, a ton of very diverse conversations about very diverse topics. Some of them tough, some of them more curious or light, I would say. But the best guests are always the ones who can show their work and can do it conversationally. What do you think about digital transformation as some mechanism of as an equalizer for diversity and for new ideas? Because long ago, you and I both have owned agencies, and long ago, people had to go to Park Avenue and ask, can I, can I talk to the consumer? <laughs> Will you allow me to, please? And as Guy Kawasaki said, social media was God's gift to entrepreneurs, and you and I both experienced that era. We can just go directly to the consumer, and we can build this personal brand. And yes, it's not as easy as people think, and you have to curate, and you have to really consider your audience and things like that. But really, for the most part, you can do it if you want to. And do you see digital transformation like that as a, a real like all-access pathway? I did. I don't know if I do anymore. I did in the sense of, you're right, anybody can have an idea in text, images, audio, video, long form, short form, go live, re-record, and put that idea onto this internet. And that in its actual practice has the ability to reach billions of people. That is true-ish. It was true. Now it's true-ish only because we're in a world that is monopolized by some very large platforms. Those platforms are throttling your organic reach as a way to generate money, advertising dollars. I believe my the core context of what I said in Six Pixels of Separation and on my blog before the book came out is still true, that content is media. And that is a very powerful idea. But it's hard not to sit here as we record this and see women, other marginalized groups not be getting the venture capital they should to start these businesses. It's hard not to see the abuse. It's hard not to recognize that we came out of a global pandemic and a place where you thought our world would come together, rally around this. to, And we didn't. We became more separated, more divided in how we talk. You can look at some of the current social media platforms and the buzziness around either leadership or regulations and what they're doing as a way to either be promoting what would be in air quotes free speech uh, versus how others perceive it to be. It's become very contentious. It's always been a snake pit. It's always been a snake pit. The difference is we are amplifying the negative a lot more than we amplify the positive. And even when I talk about positives, I always get the buts, but, but, you know, but it's this, but it's that. The other aspect of it that makes it more challenging in the purest sense of digital transformation is the tech stack. The tech stack has become a much larger hurdle when you start looking at things like artificial intelligence and blockchain technology, metaverse, virtual reality, augmented reality. These are much larger hurdles than understanding how to communicate better because they require a different philosophy, a different way to think about an infrastructure of what you're trying to build for the future. Even if we look at Web3 and talk about things like non-fungible tokens, it's still very opaque to most businesses. This idea that suddenly a digital asset can have scarcity attached to it or provenance attached to it. What does that mean to you as a marketer, as a business? I think all of those big, big ideas have business models within them that will require a tremendous leap of transformation. And if I think back to a time where I was living through businesses folding their arms and saying to me, tell me again why I need a website, this is a multiple of, of a hurdle. It's just a much harder hill for them to climb because I recognize in it my own limitations as I try to study 
each new trend and each new technology and its potential impact, everything has become a multi-billion dollar industry. So when right. you talk about transformation, this isn't about your archaic and siloed data set or a server that you're now pushing to a cloud. This is really transformational stuff that's going to probably not just reimagine your marketing, but your actual business process and development. Let's take a short break. As a business professional, mastering social media is no longer a nice-to-have set of skills, but a fundamental need in order to advance your career and exceed goals. A lot of people are interested in learning social selling techniques for revenue generation, network building, and maybe even to advance their thought leadership. But what is actually needed is a practical and repeatable system to digitally transform whole teams. Teams that commit to creating meaningful digital communities and learn how to leverage social media to turn relationships into sales online far outperform their competitors. And companies that commit to investing in their teams to increase their personal social influence reap the benefit of increased brand awareness and positive upticks in company reputation. Social media is natural. It's cost-effective, and it's an easily leveraged tool at anyone's disposal. What is lacking is an effective and proven system that trains sales, marketing, HR, and executives alike to move from social selling to complete digital transformation and into digital dominance. Our 12-week social selling course is a practical, hands-on experience. It's taken over time specifically to address the needed mindset shifts, the changes in habits and behaviors, and all of this while implementing new skills. You will learn how to network effectively and at scale, build rapport with targeted audiences, expand your influence, and become the go-to authority in your area of expertise. So this is not a quick tips and tricks for LinkedIn success flash in the pan. It's a commitment to changing the way you show up online and experience career-shifting breakthroughs. This is expert instruction in small cohorts with personalized one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, go learn more at littlebirdmarketing.com slash social hyphen influence. Well, as a cultural anthropologist, I would just put this wash on it, is that these are worlds and experiences and constructs that humans are creating. And humans are the same as they ever were. (laughs) And so while it's digital, while it's even thinking about the metaverse, one of the things that worries me tremendously is how we will go about bringing inequality into the metaverse. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, like every algorithm will continue ruining anything. Right. But, but you do see, you know, there are signs of hope or I, I don't know when this show will run, but we're recording it in a moment in time where this chat GPT has taken over the zeitgeist and for, and for rightful reasons, this ability to create a prompt and then it's pushing out real natural language text that isn't being pulled from a database, but being created on site. I do look at that and I say to myself, this is as transformational in a feeling as I felt when I saw the web browser and speaking to the culture aspect of it, Priscilla, I think that this could be the delineation to a different type of culture, much in the same way the iPhone was to our culture. So you see things like that, and it's hard not to be really moved in a dramatic way that 
maybe we'll never use Google again because of the ways in which you can use this type of technology. So you're right. Maybe humans never change, but maybe the way we buy changes a lot. Maybe the way we think about brands and businesses change a lot. A lot of businesses talked about trust for a long, long time. And I would argue that trust is probably table stakes at this point. If you, if you don't have that in price and selection, how are you even in the marketplace? You're not going to last long because we have more transparency on those layers. So have humans changed? You know, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. If you read Stolen Focus from Johan Hari, he makes a pretty good argument that our brains have really changed. They're going to continue to change pretty dramatically over the next little while. How do we impact and speak to that as a business? There's a lot of layers to it. Mm. One of those layers is we talk about leaders and what their position is. So you just kind of hinted at the fact that businesses have some kind of role in it. Thought leaders, industry thought leaders have a role. So when you're talking with people, and of course, these large companies are coming to you and saying, Mitch, help us with digital transformation. What are they asking? And my follow-up is going to be, what do you think they should be asking? (laughs) It would be dismissive of me to just toss the question to the side. But the truth is, I don't really get those calls anymore. I think I got those calls when I had the agency. The calls I get now are really more about, we're putting together a room full of people. It could be an industry association group. It could be a company. It could be a customer summit. We want to better understand what are these technologies and what do they mean today? And so it is. It's a fairly generic keynote that I have in the sense of I go through a couple of these buckets that I think have changed how consumers think about buying. And that answers both questions. So when you say, what should leaders be asking? It shouldn't be, what are the tech trends and what do they mean to me? The real question they should be asking is, are you seeing something that is changing the way people buy? And my answer is, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of things that are changing the way people buy. And then I can backload that into some of the trends that have been very disruptive to their, I'll call them traditional business models, but some of them aren't even necessarily traditional business models. So when I do look at things like, for example, I mentioned NFTs, it's easy to look at this market that's imploding in the crypto winter that we're facing and all of that. It would be a much better thought as a leader to stop and say, if digital assets move from scarce from abundance to scarcity, and if digital assets can now have provenance, are there products and services that we should be thinking about as a digital component to our business? That might be a new service, it might be a new product, it might be an engine of marketing that we give away, but it builds loyalty to whatever else you're doing. Those to me are the serious questions that I don't think are being asked but I'm, I'm ramming them down their throat anyways, based on the question, what type of technology should we be thinking about today? Right, right. So you're keynoting all the time. Let's kind of, I'm going to put you in that moment. And I'm please just at this moment, please just brag on yourself. Okay. Because yeah. for the sake of what I want to know is when you are talking and you are obviously trying to move people, what have you noticed is lighting people up? What part of your shtick or your presentation is landing right now? Every second that I'm on stage is captivating, Priscilla. We know this. Um, <laughs> That's the right answer. Mitch. Yeah, no, no. I'm really challenged psychologically to, to be self-grandiose and talk about what I do in that sense. I will say that if you can show people things that they see day in and day out, and reframe it in the perspective of both business and 
how consumers are really rethinking how they buy, it can be illuminating. I'll give you an example. If you think about streaming services, the default in your brain as a business is, well, I'm not going to be in the streaming video or audio business. It's not what we do. We're B2B, we're B2B, whatever it might be. My argument, my presentation is based on the idea that you now have a much larger discernible market that is willing to pay for access to a library over buying an individual thing. So what are the libraries? What are these databases? What are the libraries in general? And that leads you down this path of, wait a second, that also means it has to be self-serve, that the customer can come in and self-serve. Okay, so what are the databases that we have somewhat siloed or gated that we can now make self-serve? It just opens up a new way to think. You could say to yourself, well, what if we opened up one of these databases and that was the engine of marketing that we're going to use as the leader content magnet to drive them to the conversion? So again, it doesn't have to be a business model. It could be an engine of marketing. So an example or an extension of that is you're seeing things like financial services banks now offering a monthly fee for access to all the services because the customer gets their monthly statement and looks at all these different charges and says, what is this? And then they're spending hours and hours on the phone with customer service. What if we cut them a bit of slack or could do some averaging or you know, batch it out in three different levels? And now we don't have to deal with that customer service issue. But also the customer is more loyal because the other banks are not doing that. Or what if we're Walmart and we see so many people picked up COVID pets, dogs and cats and whatever. So yeah, you're going to take new brands and you're going to expand your, your square footage in the retail. You're maybe going to extend into toys or accessories or whatever. Walmart started doing pet insurance. Well, now you have people paying you a monthly fee. They are more attached. And then if you expand that idea like, like in a big way, look at Apple. Apple's generating billions and billions of dollars from their services. And those services are very good margin businesses for them that have led people to stick on to their MacBook Pros and their iPhones longer than they would. It's brought them into the ecosystem. And then you watch it magnify where Apple starts saying, we're going to go into the healthcare business as service providers. Or you see them saying things like, you will be able to buy your iPhone on a subscription model, which takes you full circle back to Netflix. Mm -hmm. So those are the ways in which we can zoom in and out of a story that is a trope. Oh yeah, I have Apple Music or Disney Plus or Netflix. And as we just saw, like an accordion, you can extend it really, really far and then you can bring it back. It can apply to a small business. It could, it could apply to B2B, to B2C. It pushes you from a physical product business into a service business. Your brain starts doing calisthenics. And so when I talk about things like that, I want people's brains to start doing calisthenics in terms of their business opportunity. I'm going to give a completely unpaid shout out on this podcast to a company that I think is doing a fantastic job with this. It's a company called Keepsake. And I found this app online. And no joke, I have this one wall in my bedroom that is reserved only for pictures of my husband, myself, my kids, but we have to be in a different geography. Just yeah. grew up in Europe. I just like, we travel a lot and I want to have seen their faces all around the world. And these, of course, are very happy moments, but we do travel a lot. So that also means it's very hard to get home and get the photo done and get, you know, and get it framed and all this stuff. And of course, there's so much cool innovation going on about this, but I found this app and literally I was just in El Salvador over Thanksgiving. My 17 year old son caught this amazing, huge mahi mahi. And from the beach in El Salvador, I went on that app, picked the frame when I got home. 
it was already in the white frame hung like the everything that I need. And so this was a company that saw that they were a, a photo framing business. No, that's not the business they're in anymore. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is it's not about the tech stack and leading with that question. It's about leading with the idea of how willing are you to see your business differently? Is that fair? Yeah. And it's also a framing to keep on the keepsake uh, analogy, I guess. I'm trying to frame things in a different way. And so what I do to drive the idea home is I will typically use a brand that you have heard of, but would have never assumed is doing it. Whether it's a very small retailer selling a product that isn't all that disruptive, or whether it's uh, somebody who's selling a product that everybody knows and has a very low price point, but they're really hitting that 360 degree of speaking to their consumers. And those are the stories that I tend to collect. I do like to shy away from the Apple, Amazon, Google stories. I find them to be difficult. I've always had trouble with stories that I don't know firsthand. I'm going to say this because I read an article about it and I saved it and I can create a slide. Like, I'm always the person where if I'm doing that, I'm speaking to somebody at the company trying to understand the real story because as someone who ran an agency, you would build these strategies and deploy these campaigns and you get these accolades. And we could honestly sit back and go, that was either luck or that really didn't happen or we told the story in a different way. Not that we as an agency did it, but people do that. So you hear only the best practices and people think that that's what it takes. I think the more interesting ways of telling stories in particular on stage is to have those moments that are surprising. So that was an example of surprising, taking Netflix and making it applicable to any business. Then I'll reinforce it with, again, industry stories or people you might not have heard of, but have heard of or knew of. I like doing that a lot. So those are the stories that I'm constantly mining for, always mm-hmm. looking for those stories. I love that. And our agency focuses so much on serving the market research industry. So we definitely yeah. love this idea of the first person story. It's very important. I believe strongly in face-to-face MRX and this idea of market research heard from the consumer directly, and even looking a little bit beyond that too. What about the behaviors? What about the unconscious behaviors that are happening? So obviously we could have a great conversation about that as well. But I want to finish up with just asking a little bit more of a personal question. You're on stages often, you're talking with larger groups, you're moving them. And that is the goal. Whenever we open our mouths, we are trying to sell whatever it is, whether it's an idea or ourselves, it just doesn't matter. But there's something that we're trying to move someone. And I guess I'm curious, what's moving Mitch Joel right now? What's getting you inspired? You used a word hope about eight paragraphs ago, and it kind of caught my attention. But what is doing that for you right now? There's a lot of things. One is really been tinkering with this chat GPT and being able to really imagine what you can do with it. One of the things recently that I did just for fun is I went into it and I typed in, give me 10 great research questions to ask about the future of marketing. And it created 10 great questions. Some of them are areas that you and I would obviously know. I don't know if I asked you or I to manually do that, we could do that. But then what I did is I took all the questions that it gave me and I copied and pasted those questions and put it back into the system. So now it has to answer that question. And when I see the answers, it's pretty generic. It's not stuff that I would copy and paste and use as I authored it, but it really inspired me. And that's the surprising part that if 
I don't want people in content or marketing to copy and paste these things because you could easily give it the prompt to say, write me 500 words on the future of email marketing and it will. And it's good enough that you could get your little SEO game going and things like that. But what it does when I read it is it really inspires me of, I know a great example of that, or I should have thought of this, or I should do that. So that's one way to think about technology right now that has been very creatively inspiring. On the maybe darker, more realistic side, that book, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, is really sticking to me like a bad stink. Thinking about it, not just in terms of our screen usage, but the environment, education, what we eat, and how it is changing who we are physiologically. I spend a lot of time thinking about that, not just because I have kids, but I do think a lot about the future and what is it that we're doing. And I found, even in myself, that when I focus on reading books, as an example, my brain thinks differently. And I am very much, as one does when they're fighting to stay on a diet, I'm fighting to stay on this diet of reading books, which is keeping me away from TikTok and away from my YouTube subscriptions, which I love dearly and I love them both dearly. But that's helping me be inspired. And I would also say it's making me more optimistic. I'm always optimistic, but I believe I've been a very pessimistic optimist recently because of the nature of the world and politics and war and strife and marginalized groups and my place in this and my role in it and the systemicness of it all that those three angles have given me more, you know, it's part of the clouds a little bit to let me see the blue sky a little bit more. Mm, I heard so many things in there and there's so much self-reflection and this willingness to look at complicity and, and say also, okay, if that's true, then how could I change? Because it does take us changing. And, and I just have to say that inspires me. I do love listening to you talk to other people because I do think you pull some of these things out of them that I don't think they probably ever had said to somebody in that way, <laughs> probably ever. And that does help me think differently. And that's kind of what I'm getting from this conversation is it's not about accomplishing business differently. It's about being willing to look at things differently and being willing to change ourselves. Yeah, look, that's ultimately the journalist in me, somebody fishing for a story and looking for a good story always, and who isn't. But I think when you get those good stories, how you communicate them, how you use them, I'm lucky that my sandbox is pretty big that I can say, oh, that's a podcast. I'll interview that person. Or that's a slide for a presentation. Or that should be something in a book. Or that should be somebody who's on the Thinkers One. I've got a million places where I could put ideas. And so in a world where a lot of my peers struggle to figure out what to create, I find myself in the opposite problem, which is I've got all these stories and I'm never going to get them where I need them to go. And that's just a function of the hours we're dealt. I love that. But you have to listen to Six Pixels of Separation. It's a wonderful podcast. It's a Thinkers One podcast. And this is really, you, you got to read a little bit because this is really some of the newer things that Mitch Joel and his uh, co-founder have been working on. But just as a huge thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise and your time and your thoughts and just being willing to ramble a little bit with me, please tell us a little bit about who should be listening to Six Pixels of Separation. If you're trying to think a little bit deeper about your work, where you want to be, how the world might be able to see you and how you show up in the world, there's always an episode for you. I don't necessarily believe that people have to listen every single week if they would like to. I'm more than happy that they do. 
but it is the type of thing where you can just pop in either based on the guest or the topic and probably pick up a little trick or two for your, uh, for your toolkit. And so I, I hope people it. check that out. Yeah. I love it. Mitch, thank you so much for being so gracious to take my call. And just from one old time podcaster to another, I really appreciate all that you do. I will show up anytime you ask, Priscilla. I appreciate the call. Thank you. If you like this content, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this podcast. It's how people find our show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.